0: This podcast is hosted by RPP. The following episode contains coarse language, violent themes, sexual references, and the really creepy stuff. If you're underage, turn off your device. Normal people, Esther, don't just go straight to demonic infestation like we do. Because the government was also freaked out about those. They might be dealing with a demonic possession. Meanwhile, as she's on top of him squeezing his throat, she's screaming, second here And they started to move towards her really fast. What are these? Australian aliens. Okay, welcome back, everyone. It's Gemma here from I Think My Fridge is Haunted. We are on... Season 4, episode 13. And what does that mean? It's the end of the season. Don't cry. We will be back in some way, shape or form. Uh, But we do need a little bit of a break first. So uh, bear with us. But today to end our season we have a wonderful guest, it is Ash from Lantern Ghost Tours, hello
1: Hello Gemma, I'm so happy to be here with you on this fine afternoon Thank you so
0: much for coming all the way down from Melbourne to the peninsula
1: The peninsula, (laughs) yes, it was quite a nice drive fortunately and a beautiful day for it
0: okay awesome so um yeah we just so you know kind of anything goes on this podcast Mm -hmm. so it's like you know you don't have to be like formal or anything like that um is swearing allowed yes swearing is allowed excellent Um, (laughs) we also accept unpopular opinions Mm -hmm. yeah and tangents many many tangents
1: creepy tales from the beyond which i specialize in as a ghost host i'm so excited contain quite a few unsavory (laughs) characters a few colorful words and so it's good to know that i can let it rip
0: that's what we do at the fridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, shall we start from some fruit with some facts from the freezer?
1: Facts from the freezer. Oh my god, you listen. Of course I yes. do. <laughs> facts from the freezer. Facts
0: from the freezer. <laughs> so, do you want to go first or shall I go first?
1: Uh, you can go first.
0: Okay. So, I was thinking because lantern ghost tours is in both australia and the uk i thought i would do a um a fact about the longest and shortest flights because it's sort of you know international today so how about this there was a flight service run by qantas in the mid-1940s which went from australia to sri lanka and it took over 30 hours, and it was actually called the double sunrise flight because people on the plane would, sit, would be there for so long that they would see the sunrise two times. Oh, wow. Um, but these days, the longest commercial flight is the Singapore Airlines, Singapore to New York, which takes just under 18 hours. And just on that as well, the shortest commercial flight takes less than two minutes. It goes between the two islands of Westray and Papa Restray in Scotland's Orkney Islands and it takes about 90 seconds.
1: That's very efficient. I what, know. What was the how long was the plane ride that everyone got lost in in famous naughty's TV show Lost? Wasn't that meant to be the longest Oh, was it? Trip in the the longest trip in the world or something? I have to be honest, Sanders.
0: I actually have never watched Lost. Um, <laughs> is that supposed to be like a double sunrise flight?
1: I thought it was meant to be one of the longest flights in the world, which right. is why there was plenty of time for them to get lost on some purgatory island.
0: Right. I've also heard about those ones that go to Antarctica so that you can see the the lights, like the Southern lights. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's a bit of a long flight as well. It seems yeah. a bit scary for me because like, you know, if you crash or you have to come down, like you're in Antarctica, yep. you no know, no one
1: there, but penguins and who knows how friendly they are there's no
0: toilets <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway how about you my
1: creepy fact my fact from the freezer is to do with local history because i am representing lantern ghost tours which is all about local history specific, specifically melbourne history mm-hmm. so the piece i'm bringing to you concerns executions oh we like to keep it dark so in 1853 it was part of the law that any executed criminals would be turned over to the families upon their deaths so that the families would claim the bodies of the executed and give them a good Christian burial. Right. They saw fit. Okay. However, something happened in 1853 that made them change the law. You see, this is when bushrangers were roaming about and one bushranger by the name of George Melville was caught, captured, and then hanged for his crimes. And then his wife, Mrs. Melville, collected the body, as was her right. And then she took his body, and instead of burying it, she propped him up in the window of her oyster shop off Little Burke Street. What? Yep. Thankfully, because it was an oyster shop, there was some ice in the window, so that managed to preserve him. But this was, in some way, a protest against the government for what they had done to her husband, but also a way for her to make money. Because she would invite people in to have a gander at her husband, have a gander at the corpse, pay her a penny.
0: Oh my god. She might charge
1: them to take a souvenir, maybe a piece of his clothing, maybe dip some, a handkerchief in the blood and take that home. What? And after that, it so scandalised and embarrassed the Victorian government that they said, alright, that's it.
0: What do you want?
1: You, you, we we can't give the bodies back to the families anymore, and so from that date onwards, they legislated that anyone who was executed had to be buried on the jail grounds. Wow! All because of Mrs Melville and her enterprising business sense.
0: Mrs Melville. I wonder how long she planned to keep him there. I'm also as long wondering as the about. Lasted, I well, I'm 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 worried about the afternoon sun. It's going to get a bit stinky at some point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> what? Oh, my Lord. I can go so a little crazy. bit further
1: if you like. Oh, I, I we go further here. <laughs> because this is happening in the 1850s. Over in England, there were a lot of folk tales about the power of a, an executed criminal's corpse. It used to be part of the folk medicine that if you have something that medicine can't cure, maybe the shock of touching a dead body or of using a piece of the hangman's rope as a charm would cure you of those diseases. So even though it's not mentioned in the sources, I suspect that that's an example of some of the folk traditions being transported across by the convicts.
0: Right.
1: And that she was charging for the privilege of people accessing that form of folk medicine. You're
0: probably so right. That's so so true. Like um oh if you've got a sick family member maybe they've got consumption or something like that two hairs from a from an executed criminal, you know, in their tea or something like mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Uh
1: there's a there's a short story by the author Thomas Hardy. I'm sure most people will remember him from studying him in high school. Uh, and he wrote a short story called The Withered Arm, and it is about a woman who has the affliction of a withered arm that just can't be cured. Mm-hmm. So she goes to see the local doctor, and he gives her the advice that you have to turn your blood. And The way that she goes out to turn her blood is to touch a still warm corpse fresh from execution. Turn that, your blood? Turn your blood. That's what does that mean? That
0: like change your blood? Or- As in
1: the contact with the recently executed corpse is powerful enough to then shock your body into curing itself
0: right it's
1: really interesting the withered arm by Thomas Hardy I recommend reading and is this that. a piece of fiction this is a piece of fiction but it was certainly uh, based in the real folk tales of the time
0: um did she did you fix the arm was the arm fixed
1: no and there is a twist ending I'm not gonna spoil it but Don't There spoil is a it for fantastic me. twist ending
0: all right cool <laughs> okay I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to track that down so can you tell us a little bit about lantern ghost tours what they are. I already know what they are. because mm-hmm. um, I've actually been on one of their tours a couple of years ago. Which My, one? I did the Pentridge one. Mm-hmm. I did it in 2019. My friend Miriam told me about it. She said, "Do you want to go to Pentridge and do this this ghost tour?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and we just had the best time and um, yeah, you know, I just, I, I so wanted to get like a ghost. I was taking all these photos and stuff. I so wanted to get some sort of weird orbs or what's that smoke. But, you know, I went through those photos afterwards. I, I, I went right up close into every single corner and I couldn't find anything, sadly. But,
1: oh,
0: rats. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I'm sure they're there.
1: Of it's course, a creepy place and a
0: lot of crazy stuff has happened there.
1: You would be surprised how many people do email us afterwards and say, Hey, I didn't see this on the night, but look at what but look catches at catches on my camera. Right. Uh, there are some fantastic photographs.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um,
1: but if I could talk about Lantern Ghost Tours. So, as you cool. mentioned before, we run out of Australia and also the UK. I'm affiliated with the Victorian branch, so I do the tours around Victoria. We mainly do uh, inner city Melbourne tours, but mm-hmm. also going out towards Point Cook Homestead, Ainsbury Homestead, Jay Ward, out in Ararat. Um, I do the ones closer to home, mm-hmm. Pentridge. I do the Pentridge tours. Excellent. love that building. Oh my goodness. It's
0: very interesting. It's
1: incredible. And it's the it's only. like an old ship. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it it's is it is like stepping back in time. Mm. And what's extraordinary about the Pentridge tour is that it operates out of D Division. And so Pentridge was originally 17 hectares. Right. So many different buildings. It was an enormous site. But D Division, where we do the tours, that is the only part that is still in its semi-original condition and has been sort of brought up to code for safety reasons. But
0: it's definitely not like a falling down building. Mm. I mean, considering it's you know it's over 150 yeah. years old, um, it, there's. It, I mean, it's really everything's really intact and everything's like it looks to me to be really well preserved.
1: Yeah, so it was sold off for private development after it was decommissioned, and if you go there now, it's it's quite a shock to see how different it is. Mm. Um, the like the enormous high-rise apartments, and they've kept,
0: and they're colourful. Yeah, they've <laughs> kept
1: some of the bluestone facades because there were some parts that they legally can't knock down because of heritage laws but yeah d division is the only part of pentridge where you are allowed to go in and experience what it's like to be in a 19th century prison because even though it only closed down 20 years ago Mm -hmm. it was still operating as it had been in the 19th century so you didn't have any modern amenities there
0: wasn't like uh (laughs) oh um what's that prison show
1: (laughs) Wentworth? It wasn't like
0: Wentworth. <laughs> Orange is the New it's Black? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, where they've got all their little cards, like, this is all very high tech and stuff. <laughs> it's very much like you, like they could film a movie mm. there and pretend that they were Bush well, Rangers.
1: there was a part of Pentridge that was very high tech, um, however it burned down uh. this is the infamous jika Jica, which is meant to be a prison within a oh, prison oh the
0: jika jika fire mm-hmm. yes i read about that so
1: this was all brand new technology latest up to speed everything automated but of course the prisoners uh jimmy lufton of the chopper film fame right being among them Uh, They all got together and decided, well, we're going to trick the system. We'll put our mattresses up against uh, the ventilation, the walls. Um, We're going to cut the cameras and lure the guards in by starting a fire. So they'll come to check it out and we'll just jump the guards and then escape. However, when they started the fire, it shut down all of the doors. And so nobody could get in and nobody could get out. And so as part of this attempted escape... A number of prisoners died in the fire. Yeah. So then they thought, okay, maybe maybe high tech isn't the way to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Wow. And do you know what year
1: that was in? That was the 80s, I believe. Yeah, because
0: um, like four or five people died, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say also, um, so Lantern Ghost Tours, you also operate New South Wales, South Australia, Queensland, as well as in London. Mm-hmm. And you guys have even been on like breakfast TV. You've been on Sunrise.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've done lots of different television spots. Uh, Coxie's Big Break is one that we've got up on our, on our yeah. website as well. But <laughs> I think it really indicates there's a mainstream appeal to things like ghost tours that even, even if you're really a skeptic, you've still got that interest. Even if it's not so much in ghost tours, there's still something deep within us that we're fascinated by the macabre.
0: I always say I'm the one who goes to a barbecue and gets the ghost conversation going. Everyone has a story. I always say Everyone this. Everyone does. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what I especially love about these kind of stories and the stories of the macabre and beyond the grave, even if you're not interested in ghosts, you don't believe in ghosts, you're not superstitious. If I said to you... Here's a house where a family was murdered. Even if you were not superstitious in the least, you still wouldn't want to live there. There is something about tragedy that stains an area. Speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, even the most staunch skeptic would still sort of feel a little bit weird about being in a house where someone had been murdered or if you said, here's a lovely coat, but someone died in it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's something there's something about it that lingers, that, that weird association that just creeps us out, even if yeah. we're not superstitious by nature. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it's I I, I find I, I find the death industry and the death care industry to be very very interesting, and we do live in a culture I think where if somebody dies, it's very quickly the body is taken away and someone else deals with it. Mm. We don't really like to think about death a lot and mm. what happens after death and we don't want to clean the bodies mm. and we and we don't want to bury but them ourselves. so someone anomalous
1: el- in human history. You go back a hundred years people would die in their beds in the house mm-hmm. and then usually the women would be the ones to wash them and take mm-hmm. care of them. They'd put the them undertaker. like on the
0: on the dining room table and, and for a few days they'll have neighbours coming in to pay mm-hmm. their respects and you know bring food and that kind of thing and, 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 and they would dress the body and and that type of thing it was very much done in the home yeah but yeah I think was ever present it was everywhere so true and
1: it was considered to be like a beautiful act of respect and Mm -hmm. and love to do a gesture like taking a lock of hair from the deceased person mm-hmm. whereas we today i think might think that's a little bit creepy yeah or a little a bit, bit weird. weird but for them that was just wanting to keep a part of their loved ones with them
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's very much a disconnect which is why we don't like things like murder houses or murder jackets and that kind of thing mm. yeah death is very much kind of like that happens over there and if it happens to us someone we pay people to come and make it go away
1: yeah <laughs> What I always loved about working for Lantern Ghost Tours, we do tell lots of creepy stories about uh, apparitions and perhaps people that haven't passed on yet. Mm-hmm. But there's enough dark history and there's enough of the macabre that's fascinating so that even the sceptics always come along and have a really good time. My favourite thing is when you get the husband and the wife the wife is the one who bought the ticket. The husband's up the back with his arms uh, folded and he's saying, oh, I don't believe any of this. Yeah. By the end of the night, he's just leaning forward. His arms drop and he's just fascinated. And then what happened? And then what happened?
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. Okay, so I'm going to get into my questions. So how long have you been working with Lantern Ghost Tours and what is your role within Mm -hmm. the team there?
1: So I joined quite recently uh, as part of... um Trying to bolster things back after COVID, mm-hmm. so I'm still quite new. Uh, however, before I worked for Lantern, I also worked for the Old Melbourne Jail, so ah. I have I have quite a long history of being in these older places and telling stories of the macabre, stories of prison history, and uh, just engaging with the dark side of Melbourne history.
0: And also a very interesting place to visit. Oh, yes. I've been to the old Melbourne jail jail a few times and um, definitely if you live in Melbourne or if you're visiting Melbourne, it's so worth a visit. Mm -hmm. Purely just if only just for the historical value. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I always recommend guided tours there as
0: well. Yeah, because they tell you so much more than what you would originally know, uh, originally, you know, presume.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm a, recent, uh, a recent employee, um, but as I said, I've got that long history of being engaged with it, and so I, I was started up fairly quickly, and I became just a regular ghost tour, ghost host, I like to call it. <laughs> and my job is to uh, go to places like Williamstown, Pentridge, and uh, in the Melbourne CBD, uh, I take a group of about 20 people, and my job is to just scare the pants off them.
0: Excellent.
1: Scare the wow. pants off them and also educate them quite right. sneakily. We, we draw it's like them. we've
0: got the same job, but you yeah. get paid. <laughs> I,
1: I draw them in with the creepy stuff, and before they know it, they're learning about Melbourne history. Yeah, right. A great time.
0: It's like incidental exercise when you're going upstairs. You don't know you're doing it. <laughs> so I did the Pentridge tour back in 2019 mm-hmm. with my friend. Um, there's a story, and just... Really quickly, for people that don't live in Melbourne or maybe our overseas listeners, Pentridge is a prison. It's located um, in the north of Melbourne. Uh, It was in operation between 1851 and 1997. Many, many, well, a lot of executions happened there, with the last happening in 1967, and it's got loads of notable Prisoners like Ned Kelly, Chopper Reed, the Brownout Strangler, Eddie Leonski, who I still haven't covered, but he is on my list. Um, The Russell Street Bombers The Hoddle Street Massacre Shooter Julian Knight Gangster Squizzy Taylor Who in Australia is quite a famous person from the 20s Um, And also there's a lady called Jean Lee Who was the last woman to be executed in Australia And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about her story Because it is quite sad and quite interesting It's
1: quite a tragic story Yeah Um, If I could give a little bit of context before we get into that So in the state of Victoria we had about 186 executions altogether. Five of those were women. Five. Only five? Only five. There was a real hesitation to hang a woman because there was a chivalrous impulse that these are just poor women who have been led astray. So even if they were murderers or had committed some terrible crime, there was the impetus to show them mercy and to commute their sentences to life sentences rather than execution. Right. So our first... A woman who was hanged in Victoria um, was a woman on the goldfields by the name of Elizabeth Scott. After that, from the 1850s onwards, we don't have any more women hanged until in quick succession in the 90s, 1890s, there was a depression. With depression comes desperate people and a lot of horrendous crime as people try to survive. Okay. And so we had three women executed all at once in that decade. And then no more women. Mm-hmm until Jean Lee in 1951. Wow, isn't so that, that interesting? That gives you a bit of context to how unusual it was. And also consider that we hadn't been executing people for a long time as well. There was more of a humane impulse to show mercy and there was a movement away from capital punishment and towards uh, prison for life. hmm So Jean Lee, let's talk about Jean Lee. Um, Jean Lee, when she was 18, married a man. The marriage went sour and within about two years uh, she had divorced him and she had a baby girl to look after. Now, what do you do if you're a divorced woman in the 40s living in Sydney? Well, what you do is you're forced to prostitute yourself. That was the only way that she could make money for her little girl to survive. Mm. A couple of years pass and she meets a man called Robert Clayton. Uh, Robin Clayton is a nasty crook and... Um, He's a con man, he's a swindler, he's a thief, all kinds of things. And he ran around with another guy called Norman Andrews. So once he starts dating Jean, he starts roping her into his scams. And what they like to do is that Jean would go to a bar, she would pick up a young man, take him back to her apartment, and they would have sex. Mm -hmm. And then Robert Clayton and Norman Andrews would burst in together And they would start threatening the the young man saying, you slept with my wife, you owe me money, you have to pay us before we leave. And so that was their con. That was the scam. Yeah. they, They would act as the jilted husband and the friend who were trying to get reparations.
0: Dirty deeds. Dirty
1: deeds. It all goes very well. This scam is quite successful having sex outside of marriage was frowned upon and so these young men would just do anything to get these men to go away and and they might have had a wife or they might
0: not be married and they don't want people to find out about their you know scandalous
1: activities
0: and that kind of thing so they've they've kind of got a lot on the line if they've
1: Mm -hmm. been busted so one evening jean lee robert and norman They're all at a bar and they see an old man who's flashing around some cash. His name is Pop Kent. Pop is his nickname and he's just won it big at the races. He's just won a whole heap of cash and he's spending like there's no tomorrow. Right. So Robert says to Jean, I want you to pick him up. And she does. She's quite successful. She seduces him. They go back to his flat and they have sex. Then the two of them, well, actually, no. It starts out with Robert Clayton goes in first and he starts threatening Pop. He says, give us all your money. I've seen you flashing all that money about. I want it. If not, I'm going to tell your wife. Pop's having none of it. He says, go ahead, tell her. I don't care. They weren't (laughs) expecting that. (laughs) He says no. And so Robert has to go back out to the car and he brings in Norman and the two of them say, give us the money or we're going to kill you. And Pop is still having none of it. He says, go ahead. What, What are you going to do to me? Get out of here. He's being very dismissive, doesn't take it seriously. This is when things turn ugly. Robert Clayton, Norman Andrews, tie Pop to a chair. They start burning him with cigarettes. Mm. They strip him naked. They start whipping him, beating him, anything to get the money from him. At some point, we believe that poor Pop... uh, Gave them the money, showed them where it was, but they were convinced that he had more stashed away somewhere. So there was nothing that Pop could say that would make them stop torturing him.
0: Right. Even if he didn't have any more, they were convinced of it and they just persevered.
1: Through this torture, Pop dies. Oh. And so the three of them are now standing with Pop's corpse in front of them, still tied to the chair.
0: Marks all over it. Marks obviously. all over it. it it's not just it's a, an
1: absolutely horrendous crime scene.
0: Yeah. You didn't just walk into a door.
1: <laughs> exactly. So they decide, we've been seen with Pop all night. There's no way that this won't be traced back to us. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they just wait in the room next door for the police to arrive. Police arrive, see the scene, and they arrest all three of them. Oh. And when they start questioning them, Jean takes all responsibility for it. Jean says, no, it was me. I was the one who killed Pop. Everything you see on him, all the cigarette burns, that was me. Robert Norman didn't have anything to do with it.
0: She throws herself under the bus. She throws herself
1: under the bus. And we believe that Robert put her up to it because remember, as I said before, they don't hang women.
0: Right. So if Jean
1: says, I'm responsible for the murder, they're probably going to let her off easy. They won't kill her. Mm-hmm. But if the boys admit that they do it, then... It's kind of a sure thing. Yeah, it's a sure thing that they won't get their sentence commuted.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Anyway, they're taken to court and the verdict comes back. All three of them are found guilty for murder and the judge says that all three of them will hang. And at that point, Jean throws herself onto the floor and starts sobbing hysterically saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, Robert, why won't you clear me? She's just begging for mercy and absolutely terrified that she's going to die because she wasn't expecting this. She thought that she would protect her lover and friend and not be hanged for it. And suddenly yeah. it's all turned sour.
0: For all of them.
1: For all of them. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that they looked at the corpse and they're like, my woman didn't do this. This is torture. Like, mm. this is."
1: It's fairly obvious when you look at it that it, it would have taken quite a strong man to restrain Pop. Because even though he was old, he was a fairly feisty fella. Right. You know, it would have taken a man to restrain him and, and commit those acts, but all three of them were implicated in the murder, so all three of them were sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. So where Pentridge comes into the story is the D Division, which is the wing of Pentridge that is open and where we take people where, through.
0: Yeah, where we've been to, yep.
1: That's where the gallows are and that's where the condemned cell is. So Jean Lee throughout the incarceration before the execution is apparently just absolutely hysterical because remember, she's still got a little girl. She's still got a, a baby that she has to look after. So she's just completely hysterical. And on the morning of the execution, she is so hysterical that they actually have to drug her in order to get her out to the gallows. Oh, wow. However, they gave her too much. And so when she was brought out to the gallows, she was basically unconscious in their arms. Right. Now, Jean Lee was hanging first. An hour later, Robert and Norman were going to go through the gallows. Together.
0: So they actually hung her unconscious. I'll get to that. Okay, you're sorry. There's more. There's <laughs> more.
1: It gets worse. So the executioner and the governor, they say, look, we've got to get this done. We've got another hanging to happen in an hour's time. I don't care if she's unconscious, she's going through. So they have to get out a chair. They tie Jean Lee to the chair, place the chair on uh, a bucket to give it a little bit of extra height so it's as if she's standing put the rope around her neck, and then they drop her through the scaffold, chair and all. Wow. Yep.
0: Uh, Okay. But she is unconscious.
1: She was unconscious at the time, strapped to a chair. Small
0: mercies, though.
1: However, however, (laughs) as I said, it gets worse. Apparently, while she was on the scaffold, she showed signs of reviving. Oh. So I don't think she was spared the pain. Right. being on the scaffold. She it it's that possible, possible
0: she was just sort of waking up. Mm. Oh, that's ghastly.
1: Absolutely horrendous. So an hour later, Robert and Norman are brought out to the scaffold, side by side, hoods over their head. And apparently their last words were Ye yeah, see you, Norm. See you, Bobby Wow. That really shows you the difference between them. The way that Jean was willing to die for Robert, and that he didn't even care at the end. Yeah. He just greeted he just figured that well it's another day is what it is it is what it is wow not a thought for Jean lee and everything she sacrificed for him
0: wow it's it yeah that's a tragic story really tragic story uh yeah uh so i actually i read about um there was i i read on wikipedia there was a guy called alfred by have you heard
1: of this guy No, is this in Pentridge?
0: Yeah, it said, hanged December 1941, hanged while sitting in a chair after nervous breakdown. So I'm wondering, with Jean, the Mm -hmm. way that they did that to her, it was kind of an old trick that they had done before?
1: I think so, yes, because, I mean, if you imagine you're getting taken out of the condemned cell to be hanged, you might as well fight for your life. Hmm. What have you got to lose? Exactly. And so to protect the governor, the sheriff, the hangman, Sometimes you do have to do things like restrain, restrain them or drug them, as when was the case with Gene.
0: So when I when I was at Pentridge mm-hmm. doing the tour, I I really wanted a sign from Chopper.
1: <laughs> Everyone does. I hung
0: around his cell for ages. Like mm-hmm. I was like, right, I'm getting a sign. I was like, Chopper, are you here? Give me a sign. Uh, have you ever had any weird experiences in there or do you know of any weird experiences that have happened in his cell?
1: Okay. So (laughs) even though I have not seen Chopper myself, we have a custom at Pentridge that out of respect to Chopper, we always leave his cell door open because during his life it was – part of the respect that the guards would show to him. You know, he was a bit of a favoured prisoner. He was a bit of a larrikin, got on well with the guards. And so they would leave his cell door open. How
0: do you explain Chopper to someone that's not from Australia? I don't know. Just that whole larrikin culture and everything, (laughs) isn't it? It's like, yeah, he was in prison. His door was open out of respect. It's like, who is this guy?
1: (laughs) So Chopper was in the protected area of D Division. So there's a a great... a gate that covers uh, the stairwell and just blocks off about six cells down the end. So they were able to leave Chopper's cell open and let him prowl around that area, uh, yeah. around the stairs. But he was still secure. Like there's no yeah. issue with him getting. But out. he
0: just had definitely more space than everybody yeah. else. Yeah, and, and,
1: and you can imagine in a prison what that does to your status and hierarchy. Like the power yeah. that that gives. Absolutely. You to be given even untouchable. That. Untouchable. Exactly. <sighs> So I do know that we, we keep his door open out of respect. Sometimes cheeky customers will go in there and they'll close his door. Without fail, it's open. It's opened on its own the wow. next morning. Cool. It, yeah, it just, it just always stays open. I don't know what it is about that cell, but if you close it without fail, the next time you go back there, it will be open.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's like, excuse me. <laughs>
1: uh we have a lot of people who um see a shadow next to his cell as if someone is sort of leaning back and and watching the tour as, as you can down.
0: imagine he probably would probably, yeah yeah because from that from outside his cell um you can kind of see down the the prison really mm-hmm. or, the, or at least down that sort of wing can't you mm-hmm. so it's a really good vantage point so mm-hmm. I, you can kind of imagine him sort of leaning against the wall just kind of and just keeping an eye. yeah 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 yeah
1: So I always find that quite creepy because I have my back to chop a cell when I'm delivering a little spiel uh, down the end. And sometimes I'll just have people that are looking behind me and just sort of staring at the wall behind me and I'm like, Oh, please let just it not wanna... be someone behind me <laughs>
0: Look behind you <laughs> uh,
1: Like hairs going off in the back of my neck, Sir, what are you looking at?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's awesome. I I yeah. I just think the um the concept of his ghost is just so cool because it's not your usual kind of like old man in chains and mm. that kind of thing. Like he's a modern kind of guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and just the power and the presence that he has that you, you still feel like he's standing back there looking over his kingdom and just letting you know that I'm here. Yeah. You're in, you're on my turf.
0: Yeah. Um, So has anything kind of weird or creepy ever happened on a tour, like whether it was paranormal or not paranormal, like even if it was sort of something that people thought it was paranormal, it it just like, and freaked everyone out
1: without fail something creepy always happens at Pentridge and some of it you might say oh it was just a pigeon fluttering away but there are always these creepy banging sounds a sound like a cell door slamming shut when there's no one up the top there's always something creepy that happens and we don't orchestrate any of this we don't do jump scares yeah it's just that throughout the tour, something will happen to make us jump or surprise us or you'll hear these weird sounds. Someone will take photographs and there's orbs everywhere. Pentridge is quite an active site. Cool. And considering everything that's happened there over the course of its you know, 150 years, it's not a surprise.
0: I guess, like, they would probably have, like, security guards that would have to, like, you know, walk around there at night. It would be pretty creepy for them.
1: Mm. (laughs) I can tell you one story. So the third level, uh, my colleagues who are spiritual and mediums, I'm in it more for the history, but there Mm -hmm. are some who have quite sensitive uh, natures. And they say that there's two spirits that walk around the top floor. Apparently, they're the spirits of guards, and they just march in a circle up the top. Wow. Just patrolling their territory. And they have warned me, don't go up there, because if you run into one, as in some one of them passes through you, there's a good chance you'll take it home with you.
0: Ew. And I
1: sort of thought, oh, yeah, whatever. But one evening, it was myself and, and the gatekeeper, and um, on the top floor, we have a, a little box where we keep extra lanterns and things like that. So we're locking up. And uh, my friend is uh, just looking up, coming down the stairs. And he said he felt as if something had pushed him over the railings and was trying to push him, as in to, to kill him, to throw him from the railings. He said something just slammed into his chest and almost knocked him off the balcony. Holy me. cow. And I said, are you okay? He said, it feels like something hit me. And... He's not much of a, uh, like, he's a bit of a skeptic, so he just brushed it off and thought, oh, it's nothing. But he told me that when he got home that night and he went to sleep, he said his poor partner said that there were the sounds of people talking all throughout his house. She said that she couldn't get to sleep because she kept hearing people talking and having conversations and screaming. And so when he woke up the next day, that's when things got weirder because lights would flicker when he entered the room, the radio would go off. It was really disconcerting. And so his partner went out and said, I think you're haunted. I'm getting some sage. We're going to do a little cleansing ceremony. You've obviously brought something home with you. I think my boyfriend is haunted. <laughs> I think my yeah. boyfriend is haunted. That could be the sequel podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, that's nuts. I hope they got rid of it. Yeah.
1: Well, the, the saging and the cleansing ceremony worked. And after that, she always made him wear little Go abulates. back to
0: pentry she, she
1: would, Make him wear uh, amulets and things like that to keep him safe. She's like, I don't want you bringing anything else home. I don't care if you work there, but you're not bringing it into this house.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's always a danger, isn't it?
1: So I always warn people, if you are particularly sensitive, maybe don't go up to the top level because okay. th- those guards, if they walk through you, it's not a pleasant feeling.
0: Bizarre. So is there – do you of, – of the places that you've done tours mm-hmm. – um, do you have, like, a favourite, like, ooh, tonight I'm doing Pentridge or tonight I'm doing wherever?
1: Oh, Pentridge without a doubt.
0: Is your favourite? Yeah. Okay.
1: But that's because I worked at the old Melbourne Jail, so I, I love prison history. I yeah. I love prison history. I love talking about, you know, uh, the lives of people that pass through those buildings. Yeah.
0: We went to the um, the prison tour of um, Beechworth Beechworth mm. Jail. That was really interesting too. Yeah. Um, is there a building that you'd really like to get into that maybe, um, it's not allowing visitors?
1: Pentridge again, Mm. F division next door. Oh, so we're in D division. Yeah. Which used to be the, um, the cell, cell block where they had prisoners on remand. Some female prisoners were kept there in the early days as well. And also where they had the gallows, but F division next door, is still pretty much intact. I believe they're going to turn it into apartments at some point, but F Division is the oldest cell block on uh, the Pentridge grounds. It was the very first one that was built. Right. And it's quite fascinating because uh, in the early days, Pentridge was built to relieve pressure on the old Melbourne jail in the city centre. Okay. You know, they, brought, they brought prisoners out here on stockades and then they they built the actual cell block.
0: It's a lot bigger than Old mm. Melbourne Jail as well, isn't yeah. it?
1: But originally F Division uh, didn't have the cells in the same way that Old Melbourne Jail did. What they had was just a big dormitory. And so they thought, we can't bring male prisoners into this dormitory. They're all just going to fight. It'll be a disaster. Yeah. What if we bring the girls in?
0: Right. <laughs> They won't fight at all.
1: No, what are girls going to do? They're <laughs> girls. They're not going to fight. They'll just get along. They'll sleep nicely in their beds. Mm. It'll all be. It'll all be fine.
0: Then what happened? Uh, and
1: then it all went horribly, horribly wrong because the girls just got into fights with each other.
0: I've seen Wentworth.
1: We've all seen Wentworth. (laughs) And there was even a Royal Commission into it. It was such a disaster trying to keep these criminal women in a dormitory together. Do you know what year is this? We're We're talking 1850s. Right, okay. So even in the early days, the the women
0: just didn't want to get along.
1: Absolutely. Scratchings, bitings, maulings, punching.
0: (laughs) Hair pulling. Hair pulling, you name it. And in
1: the Royal Commission, they also cited lewd sexual behaviour gross acts of sexual indecency well, now i don't know if that's girls having it on with girls or prison guards having it on with girls i don't know all the details they're very cagey in the report could be all of the above could be it could be everything on the menu yeah it could be all of it at once shenanigans shenanigans <laughs> uh the other thing that's really interesting about f division from when it housed those female prisoners is that a lot of the female prisoners that came to be under that roof were pregnant
0: right
1: uh, if, if you think about the way that women would fall into poverty, that they were literally called fallen women because you would get pregnant and then your families would toss you out of home. Right. Because you brought shame to the family. Or you eloped, you ran away with a young man, and then he dumped you when he found out you were pregnant. He had no intention mm-hmm. of marrying you. He just used you, abused you, and lost you. Uh, so these poor girls would come to places like Division or Old Melbourne Jail. Some of them might even deliberately commit crimes as a way to get a roof over their heads while they gave birth
0: yes at least i'll have like a bed and food Mm.
1: the the medical care wasn't the best the problem with having a lot of people in a confined space is that it allows for a very easy spread of disease Mm. but it's still better than giving birth on a street corner without a roof over your head Mm -hmm. and so the place that i really want to get into in f division um if if you go to the site of pentridge uh The room I'm thinking of is visible from uh, the Warden's Walk where you you look up. It's right next to D Division and there are these old fashioned windows. And it's the room behind those windows that we believe was used as the nursery. Okay. That when the women gave birth in that dormitory, they would take the little babies up the stairs and look after them in that communal nursery. Okay, that would be interesting. That's where I would love to go and have a look around.
0: Why is it closed?
1: Uh, it was sold off privately, and whoever the private developer is just hasn't got around to putting it together. I
0: wonder what it looks like inside. Exactly. Like, does it st- are there still really, really old remnants of history in there, or does it, is it just...?
1: I imagine it would look fairly dilapidated on the inside. Last I heard, they had been doing some work on it, trying to keep it together. Um, but if it's anything like the other cell blocks that have been converted... It- they're probably just going to gut the insides. So mm. I really want to get in there before they do get around to gutting the I insides. I hope you
0: do. How interesting would that be? Yeah.
1: I mean, for example, G Division, which was the psychiatric wing of Pentridge, is now a children's daycare. Oh, really? It's been completely transformed into a children's daycare. Wow. All they kept was the facade and some of the bluestone, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Tell me about some of the other tours anyway. Yeah, it's not just Pentridge. It's just, you know, what what else is, is on offer through Lantern?
1: Yeah, so I do the Melbourne CBD tours, which I love because we go through all the little pokey alleyways and it's a way to go back in time and think, well, this is where your ladies of the night would have lived. This would have been all these different families crammed into tiny little apartments. This is where your factories were. You know, this is the vibrant yet seedy side of Melbourne that's really hidden by the grand facades left mm-hmm. over from the Gold Rush where we have beautiful Parliament and the Paris and Collins Street. I love going down the back streets and saying, well, Me this, too. this is what it was like for ordinary people.
0: That's what right. Melbourne is the best for, like, just the alleyways, mm. like what's hidden down the alleyways, and that's what, like, Melbourne is kind of famous for, mm. isn't it, where it's like, a really amazing cocktail bar yeah. or, like, some kind of, like, remnant of history.
1: Yeah, so Little Lonsdale is where most of the red light district was. Right. If anyone knows where Madame Brussels is, uh, Madame Brussels is named after a famous brothel madam. Ah. Uh, And up around there, this is a favorite fact of mine. Um, They used to have Juliet Lane and Romeo Terrace Mm -hmm. facing each other. And this is in the red light district. So if you liked girls... You would go to Juliet Lane. If you like boys, you would go to Romeo Terrace. Really? Yeah. Those little lanes no longer exist, unfortunately. Why is that not a
0: TV show on Netflix? Come on, guys. (laughs) Be like the Australian version of Harlots. How cool would that be? Exactly. That's what I want to say. That's what I want to say.
1: The lives of the sex workers and the brothel madams were incredible. Like, it just, the, the most amazing incredible characters, enterprising women doing the best they could at a time where women's ability to make money and control their own lives and finances was so restricted.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just like you, you, you would have to have a little bit of ingenuity to uh, think outside the box, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and people can have any of these tours that you guys offer like mm-hmm. privately as well, right?
1: Yes, if you've got a big enough group. So what's
0: a big enough group?
1: Uh, 15.
0: Okay. Right. About that. Okay. Cool. 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 So, um, I noticed, you know, that you guys offer private tours as well. And just on that theme. So a couple of episodes back, probably about five or six episodes Mm -hmm. back, we did a show where a couple of friends and I were talking about a dodgy paranormal investigation company that I booked for a hen party. And it turned out, um, to be pretty disappointing because like they were massive fakers and um, so, what is your opinion of fake ghost investigators that give the impression to clients that they're they're gonna they're gonna help you to have this great ghost investigation? It's all gonna be like legit. It, have you ever heard of those kinds of co- companies? Is that a thing in Australia?
1: Sounds a little bit sleazy and dishonest, doesn't it? It totally was sleazy
0: and dishonest. I mean, we've got great memories of like laughing about it now, but it was, yeah, and they were, they were drunk and they were pretending they were possessed and it was insane.
1: Right. See, what disturbs me about things like that is I'm always very mindful of the history of the place around me. And when you're at a place like Williamstown, Melbourne CBD, Pentridge, you are in a place that is steeped in human misery. Mm -hmm. there are a lot of terrible stories around you and there is something lovely about the human impulse to try to connect with those stories and try to connect with people who have gone before you or just to explore the idea of there being an afterlife even if you're just curious the idea of going to a place like that and then pretending to be possessed or drunk just seems a little bit disrespectful to me and goes against the spirit of what lantern ghost tours represents which is to try to give an honest experience and to try to take people back in time and you know even if there's no activity that night you still come away with a sense of satisfaction because you have been able to engage with the past in some way and you have walked the streets where other people have gone before you and you have listened to stories because ultimately Mm. when we try to connect with ghosts in the past we're trying to listen to their stories right we're trying to ask them questions about how they live we're trying to connect in a human way even though the veil of death separates us
0: yeah and so yep. my
1: opinion of people who fake it is why
0: uh um, yeah look they were just kind of like look it, <laughs> it, it was a little bit like Jean lee that this was their this was their little scam that they did
1: yeah
0: um yeah it was hilarious, but like you say, like we were at um, this building that was 900 years old. It was in the UK, and it was um, super disrespectful Yeah, and kind of stupid, to be honest.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't feel comfortable doing something like that, especially at a place like Pentridge, because... The gallows are right there. We used to execute people here. Shouldn't we try to engage with that mm-hmm. in a positive way?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and if we happen to make contact or if, if people are able to use devices to connect with the, the spirit world, at least that's in an honest fashion rather than just, I don't know, creating a pantomime.
0: I'm glad there's people like you out there <laughs> that get it, that have such um, an opposite Um, opinion of 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 the industry than these people that that we dealt with Um, and just on that last question as well i saw online that you guys offer a paranormal investigation 101 class like Mm -hmm. an online class Um, have you have you done that
1: i haven't done it because uh my job is to run the tours and so the paranormal tours are run by um some of my other colleagues but the idea to that is that we introduce the the equipment that we use we introduce how you might go about trying to connect with the other side and uh, I I suppose just trying to equip people with the tools or the knowledge that they need to go out and attempt it on their own right some people I mean I found that on our tours we often get people who are recently bereaved and so they come on tours like this to have a genuine experience of the other side because not only are they trying to connect with the past, with history, but there's a part of them that wants to connect to a loved one that they have lost. Interesting. And so these these sort of uh, the tours and the classes can be helpful for people like that. It puts them in a safe space that they're not going to get laughed at if they say... I think I saw my mother after she died. They're they're not going to get laughed at. They're going to be in a safe space where they can talk about those experiences Mm. and they can be given the knowledge and the equipment to go forth and make those investigations on their own. And I think that protects them from the charlatans a little bit who just want to draw them in and take their money. This gives them the tools that they need to do the, the investigation on their own. And so it's at their own leisure and at their own pace. And if they feel uncomfortable at any point, they can stop, you know.
0: It's really good that you guys offer that because Mm. a lot of people are like, I want to do ghost investigations, but you know, where do I begin? Like, Mm. what do you even do? How do you even learn that? And and (laughs) we
1: get all sorts. We get the ones that are are recently bereaved and looking for that genuine connection. And then we get young people who just want to have a good time. You know, they've seen Buzzfeed Unsolved and they like the idea of getting together as a friendship group and going out to somewhere dark and spooky and just having a fun time.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. Um, and I think we will do it again. Like our, our group of friends, we, um, it was a hen party, Mm -hmm. but we wanted to take this really seriously. And I think the people that we went to, they were like, let's just get them wasted and freak the hell out of them. But Mm -hmm. we're like, we don't want to drink. We want to be completely sober. We want to take this seriously. Anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, have you actually been able to do any of the London tours?
1: No, unfortunately, because I joined after COVID.
0: Right. Okay. But, Maybe in the future.
1: Uh, I studied in London as part of my degree, um, and uh, it was a guilty pleasure of mine to go on, you know, the Jack the Ripper tours and right. things
0: like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went to... Um- the London dungeon that was fun mm-hmm. <laughs> but I haven't done a Jack the Ripper tour I'd really like to do that that would be that yeah would be the, quite the cool. one
1: that I went on was very theatrical and I was looking for something that was more grounded in reality right um but they I mean there's a hundred different tour groups offering Jack the Ripper experiences yeah. so I, I suppose I just didn't uh, didn't curate the experience for myself well enough. I should have done more research and thought, okay, these guys focus more on history. That's probably more for me.
0: Yeah, you've kind of answered my last question of what sorts of people are going to get the most out of Lantern Ghost Tours, but you've mm-hmm. really sort of answered that. It's
1: all sorts. And I often find that, At the beginning of a tour, I'll ask a couple of questions. I'll say, you know, has anyone been on a ghost tour before? What's our split between believers and skeptics? Right. And I'll sort of tailor my tour on the spot that if I've got lots of young people who just want to get the pants scared off them, (laughs) then I'll go with the more dark, creepy, uh, focus on the actual ghost stories. Whereas if I've got lots of skeptics and grumpy husbands who don't want to be there, then I'll try to tell more dark history. Mm-hmm. So, still keep it creepy, but focus more on the historical rather yeah. than uh, the ghost stories. Yeah. Or yeah. if I've got, like, there was one evening where we had a, a very small tour group and. Uh, just a lot of people who seem to be recently bereaved and were just really keen to talk about connecting with the other side. And that's when I might use equipment and I might say, why don't we have a go at trying to contact different people? Really?
0: Things. So you might yeah. bust out a ghost box or something? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um,
1: because I'm not the paranormal investigator, I usually just keep a K2 meter on me and mm-hmm. some dowsing rods. So the K2 meter mm-hmm. is a very basic handheld device that you use to pick up on, on electromagnetic frequency. Mm-hmm. So I'll give that to them and I'll say, you know, if you use this you can ask questions you can say uh, if anyone is there can you give me a sign and if the lights start blinking then you know that you're making contact or I'll give them the dowsing rods and I'll say why don't we have a go at uh, yes or
0: no questions yes and no questions
1: and yeah sometimes they'll have sometimes they'll use the devices and they'll try to connect with um, the people that I've talked about other times they'll say mom is that you and then you can have a very different experience where suddenly we are still discussing ghosts. We're still very much in the midst of a ghost tour. But then it becomes really personal and quite lovely that this person is having a connection to someone close to them.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I just ask for my purely for my own curiosity? Um, I want to know because, I, you know, I've done uh, Melbourne... Jail, and I've done Beechworth Jail, and I've done mm-hmm. Pentridge, and that kind of thing. I, I wouldn't mind going on one of the ones where, like, you do like the haunted houses and mansions and stuff, mm-hmm. or the what would you call them like estates. W- which one would you recommend?
1: Point Cook is great, okay. uh, and Ainsbury as well. I think we only do them once a month now just because they are so far out of the way. Right.
0: But oh, what God. are they, like old family houses or old, something? Old
1: family uh, homesteads. So Point Cook is one that I've done a couple of times, um, and this was originally owned by the Chernside family of chernside park and the werribee mansion faith.
0: right yes
1: so if anyone from around here knows the werribee mansion you'll know that that was owned by the chernside family yeah. chernside were ridiculously rich they were among the first europeans to come here and uh settle the port Phillip district 1835 1836 and they just basically arrived here um uh, knocked the Waterung people and Wurundjeri people out of the way and said all right we own everything here right and they would just carve up these enormous swathes of the western district and around Melbourne and say all right this is my sheep run this is mine this is mine and just these families just grabbing enormous parcels of land so the Churnside family which owned um, the Point Cook homestead we can thank them for rabbits <laughs> They released rabbits because rich people love killing things, and they thought, where are the foxes and the rabbits? Oh, no. Deer as well. Deer Park was where they would go to release deer and go hunting. Uh, Are you
0: serious?
1: Absolutely. So Point Cook is this little old homestead. Um, It's got some uh, slightly more modern extensions, modern as in, you know, within... 50 years rather than 150. You're right. yeah. Uh, but this is where you can go and have a look at what it was like to be one of those early colonial settlers. And they've got uh, the original stables there as well because, of course, rich people love horses. And so there were some prize-winning racehorses that they had there. Mm-hmm. And the stables are quite – I always find them a little bit creepy um, because the, the, the racehorses that they bred were so successful – they were the targets of people trying to poison the horses in order to upset races. Right. And so the stable boys that looked after these race horses would sleep in the loft above the stables. And one night, one of them slept through a, a, an intruder coming in, poisoning and killing a prize racehorse. horse And he was so guilt-ridden, and then so hounded. By the people around him, who said, "You must have let this person in. It was yeah, your fault. Yeah, it's your yeah. fault that the horse died. You're in on it. That he then hanged himself from the loft."
0: Oh, that's tragic.
1: It's really awful. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the great thing about Point Cook Homestead is that we get to wander around the grounds a little, a little bit as well. So the the homestead itself, the building, is wonderful and creepy and engaging, but there's something about the grounds, something about the grounds and looking at the way that they, um, parceled up the land and the the particular trees that they planted and when the wind comes in and you can smell the ocean mm-hmm. there's something about it that just gives you this really eerie feeling inside oh still right. gives me the shivers
0: i'm gonna do that one i'm gonna do that one i'm gonna ask flea from ghost beaches if she wants to come as well <laughs> can you byo any ghost like reading uh gadgets mm-hmm. if you want to
1: yeah so uh, on a tour like point cook you'll have 15, 20 minutes to look around, and that's when you can go off on your own and you'll have your own equipment to, okay. to look at it. Um, on tours where it's mostly just following me around and there's not much opportunity to uh, go off on your own, I usually ask people, uh, you can have your equipment, but just use it quietly. Yeah, Because right. it can be a bit distracting if someone's Some up there. Some of like, them can
0: be super noisy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like the ghost boxes yeah. uh, are quite noisy yeah but yeah we we do encourage people if you've got you know dowsing rods or a case meter something something quiet or if you want to to record
0: like for evp and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing right oh cool well thank you so much for coming in i am just stoked with all the stories that you've given us and all the facts and just you're, you're, you're extremely learned.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it warms my heart that there are really good people like teaching people about not just history but um, the paranormal in Melbourne as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, lanternghosttours.com, isn't mm-hmm. it, if people want to visit it, if people want to check out any of the tours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, do you, do you know how we finish the show here? Go on. <laughs> you never to tell you yes okay yeah. <laughs> so i say be creepy and you say but don't be a creep okay okay everyone so until season five thank you so much thank everybody you until next season be creepy
1: but don't be a creep
0: Woo.